entertainment, consumers have more choice than ever before. Movie theaters offer 3D, 4D, IMAX, and VIP experiences. Cable television and satellite channels are in the hundreds, while YouTube channels are in the thousands. Our phones are overflowing with social media apps like Instagram and Snapchat, and from Netflix to Amazon Prime to Hulu and beyond, there are more streaming services than we can keep track of. That's a lot of video entertainment choice. And then there are video games. There are first-person shooters like Fortnite, RPGs like Skyrim, classic platform games like Super Mario Brothers, and of course, mobile games like Candy Crush. And while there's tons of variety in gaming, they all have something in common. They involve audiences allowing players to participate in shaping the narrative. Increasingly, the worlds of passive video entertainment and active video game entertainment are colliding, giving audiences more power. Introducing interactive entertainment. Think virtual reality and 360-degree videos, both of which allow viewers to look where they want and be genuinely immersed in a digital environment. As technology advances, VR experiences are becoming just as cinematic as movies and even more immersive than video games. It really is better than the best of both worlds. Interactive entertainment has been used in movie marketing too. One campaign that comes to mind is the infamous transmedia campaign for The Dark Knight. In an alternate reality game that took place online and in the real world, fans were enlisted by the Joker to join his army of henchmen after finding and solving a series of clues, thus teasing the plot and building hype for the premiere. And of course, we can't forget about the viral marketing campaigns for The Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield. Brands have also begun to fuse entertainment with involvement. Red Bull, for example, created an entire online channel for extreme sports that is engaging, entertaining, and well-made. As for the interactive side of things, viewers can choose what they want to watch and get physically involved by attending live events like their crashed ice tour. Then there's Netflix who also plans to merge passive and active entertainment. They recently announced that the upcoming season of Black Mirror will include a choose-your-own-adventure episode, allowing audiences to actively participate in the plot and choose how they want the storyline to unfold. In terms of interactive entertainment, this is exactly where streaming services really have the upper hand. A person's viewing experience is no longer bound by airtimes and channel availability. Audiences can watch what they want, when they want, where they want, and how they want. You can pause and come back to something days later, or binge 10 episodes in a row. Storytelling used to be a one-way form of communication between the storyteller and the audience. But nowadays, people expect choice and are empowered by the decisions they get to make. And when you think about it, the internet has turned everything into a choose-your-own-adventure. So it's only natural for the passive consumption of content to evolve into the active engagement in content. And we're back with another edition of Version Control here with my 
great friends, co-workers, Ivana, Nick, Scott, who's back from his hiding-from-the-microphone stint as producer, filling in for Mark, and me, Jackson. How are you doing, everyone? Awesome. I'm excited to talk about this topic today. Oh my god, so excited. I'm going to do my best Mark impression. No, you be a Scott today. All right, I'll be a Scott. Be your best Scott. And, but what's, what's the topic, Ivana? Well, guys, today we're talking all about interactive entertainment and the trend towards choosing your own adventure in media, entertainment, and I guess kind of the, the blend that's happening between movies and video games. I like this because it's a really natural evolution on where entertainment is going with the relationship to audiences. So... Historically, television and movies was a one-sided message. You'd sit in a theater or on your couch and you would watch a screen and they would tell you what is happening and how you're being entertained and what's going to entertain you. Um, what we've kind of evolved into with the help of digital technology is audiences are now becoming part of the narrative, which is super fun. Um, and just to kind of see that evolve and the different types of entertainment that are coming out of it is really interesting. But wasn't that part of the fun to not have to think about anything and just be shown? I think once once video games became sort of a massive uh, pillar of entertainment where you are becoming part of the entertainment yourself as a player, I think that kind of really opened up people's minds to the possibility of what you could do with stories. Because, I mean, how many times have you watched a TV show or a movie and be like, man, I would have done it this way? Um, now you kind of have the ability to do that. Assuming that you you know, can create a better story than whomever has already created it. But even still, I mean, I know that you guys had just talked about that example of uh, Black Mirror becoming a little bit more interactive on Netflix and, and kind of interacting with audiences and ha- allowing them to become part of the narrative. It's not so much giving them control, but just giving them a different view onto what that story is and, and as a group or individually being able to choose where that story goes. I can't wait to see what happens out of that. I hope it's super meta. And actually, it's a whole prank. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to be, uh, is, is the Black Mirror thing going to be like really complicated or is it going to be like simple, like choose this or choose that and then they show a different ending? Is that how it's Yeah, gonna I think right now from what they've released, it's going to be more of just like the plot plays out to a certain point and then you kind of choose this way or this way. And maybe that happens two or three times. Um, but of course, like everyone's going to do it the one way and then go back and rewatch it to see the other way. Um, I think it would be kind of interesting though, if, if there was a way where you could only view it the one way or the other, and then that way you have that different experience to someone else. And then you kind of talk about that. That would be cool. That's a very video game, uh, way of being entertained as well. Uh, it's, I mean, I guess in the last like 10 or 15 years, a lot of video games, the purpose of them is to try to get different endings. Um, and then, you know, when... They, they give you like a, a goal to try to get all of the endings and stuff like that. So I just think it's a natural progression into, into entertainment, like television and movie entertainment, where we're all kind of in this together. Let's try to get somewhere. Let's try to, let's try to manipulate the story in this way. Do you think that this style of interactive entertainment will really only play to people who are video game fans? I mean, if you're not a gamer, is this something that you would even want? I... I Maybe, but where, where I'm going to go with this one is less about what type of person you are and more about what type, how you want to be entertained in that particular moment. 
Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but there's days when, you know, I go home and like, I just want to sit in front of the TV and turn my brain off and let, let, and you know, box entertain me. Um, but then there's days when it's like, I, I want to be involved in something. I want something a little bit more. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be video games. I'm just kind of using that as an example as to like where in my life that, that kind of light went on as the like, entertainment can be more than just sitting there and, and, and watching things. Um, but I think it's going to come down to, yeah, like what type of mood the audience is in and what they're looking for. I'm sure there's like going to be a generational divide on who cares and who doesn't like those of us, <laughs> me, older, <laughs> old people, uh, older than you guys anyway, uh, you know, maybe not as interested in it, like just in terms of like going all in on passive and let Netflix just keep playing stuff and not have to make any decisions or choices. But I definitely think for anyone like on the young spectrum, it just seems like how they're hardwired today. I think that's what's interesting for brands because those, that's the same people that are wired for getting involved versus passive jumping into the action versus sitting back. I think they are also the same people who don't really want to be advertised to. They, don't really want to see ads, so they put ad blocking on. They want to be entertained. Um, so for a brand, like you have to like kind of start to rethink how you're communicating them to, rather than it's your brand, you're sponsoring something, you're out there, but like how do you build something that they're involved in, build the community that they're part of, personalize your content for them, and kind of bring them along on a journey? I think depending on the brand or the product you're selling that will come in different shapes and sizes but how do you how do you make that connection and then use the how they're kind of um wired for today to your advantage it's weirdly it weirdly feels like it's coming full circle though because i feel like what you're saying in like a larger sense is that advertisements need to be or brands need to entertain people they need to give people something that they want that you know not from an entertainment standpoint, not necessarily just a product or service. And like, essentially that's what Saturday morning cartoons were invented for, right? It's like the transformers were not necessarily invented to, to occupy kids minds for 30 minutes. They're, they're, they're created to sell toys. So it, it's kind of interesting how that's like, that's where brands need to go now. It's, it's coming a little bit full circle. It's interesting. I just wa- uh, read, I was gonna say I watched, but I did not watch it. It was a, an old fashioned article that I read and uh, uh, Walmart, we all know Walmart, d- delightful retailer, biggest retailer on the planet. Like I've heard physical. of it. Yeah, I've heard a few things of them. They announced this month they're doing a joint venture with an interactive video firm and they're putting up $300 million. Wow. So if Walmart's investing a huge pile of money, like a dump truck sized money into interactive content, then their vision for it is the partner that they've chosen is, has been doing some of this interactive video for the last three or four years. They see it as a place for, you know, how do you connect the dots between their grocery business and their retail business of like cooking tools and all that sort of stuff. So making cooking shows where you can choose what they're going to make, see what the ingredients are, like connect the dots between a viewing experience that Food Network's not doing and allow them to like 
drop it right into the shopping cart um, for what you want to cook for dinner that night. And same thing, you know, to, to Scott's point about toys, like imagine an interactive video toy catalog where, you know, you're choosing where to go, what to see. Ultimately, they're leading you down to <laughs> get into that Walmart or getting to the Walmart website to check out on buying something. But interesting that they've made a play not to do big ads, but like how do we make content that is engaging for people? The other thing that, that I think a lot of brands need to sort of look at as well is, uh, is sort of the YouTube play and the YouTube and the influencer play. Like just, just going back to what you were talking about before with like, um, you know, somebody creating some sort of entertainment that has to do with shopping. I mean, that's to me seems to be where unboxing is going. Um, at some point, somebody's got to figure out that un the, the, how popular these unboxing videos are can be played right into a brand story in some capacity, if it hasn't already. Um, and whether that's from like a retail standpoint or just like a revealing standpoint, um, like that style of, of narrative of where it's not a product telling you this is why I exist and this is why you should buy me, but it is a third party that's entertaining you with their particular style using that piece of, or that product. Mm -hmm. I think that does already happen. I just think it's really interesting before is like, you know, we used to kind of sit there and, and be entertained by something that was telling you how you should be entertained. And we've kind of gotten to this really interesting point where we can manipulate that. And it's a weird feeling because like we were talking about before, like Jackson, like some people just don't want to take part in that and that's totally fine. But now that we have the option, like somewhat curious as to what that's going to be. I'm super interested in what's going to happen with this black mirror thing, just mm -hmm. because it's it's a bit of an experiment on like a massive scale. Um, so I think we're kind of at this like really cool intersection where this could go in a, in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. I think even like beyond like the choosing your own adventure, the other possibilities of things that people have done in the past of like re-editing or recutting entertainment properties to show a different kind of way mm -hmm. at it. But like, you know, I think just the amount of money that like Netflix's or HBO's are investing in a particular like tentpole show or like the new Star Wars TV show from Favreau, like they're putting so much money into these kind of things that like they'll probably start to get to a place where they're, you know, filming it from different angles or from the perspective of different characters and then allowing the viewers to be like, oh, I'm all in on this character. I want to see the whole thing from their perspective. Like, what were they doing when they're not in this scene or, mm -hmm. or whatever? And you get, like, a whole different kind of... It kind of, like, takes the idea of a, a universe, uh, the concept of a universe, and allows you to, like, choose what you want to see within it, which could be interesting where... Marvel has, you know, 5, 10, 15 TV shows. You know, what do you want to see out of those characters versus just sitting back and, and seeing it? Perspective is a really interesting topic around this too. And, and I think what that kind of leads into is we now have the ability to do exactly what you're talking about, Jackson, is like see a story unfold from a particular point of view with things like VR mm -hmm. and 360 video. I mean, t technology is still kind of making its way there. And, and like when they finally intersect in a, in a really interesting way where narrative and technology can play a little bit nicer together than they are now, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. 
So exactly like you were saying, if you're watching a movie and you watch it from an audience perspective, you can go, you might be one day be able to go back and watch it from a particular character's Mm -hmm. perspective, Mm. which would be super interesting. Yeah. I think that's where the real like jackpot is, at least for my own preference. Like I, I remember as a kid, I would read like fictional novels and it would be from one person's perspective. And then the author would release something from a different person's perspective. And I thought that was the coolest thing because now you get to see the other side. So for that to be an entertainment and in VR to switch between different uh, characters, I think that's a lot more interesting than just watching as a viewer and being like, okay, the plot is different now, at least from my perspective. 100%. I've always been curious about in action movies, just one of those henchmen <laughs> One of those disposable henchmen that just gets shot, and I'm just like, what's what's his what's deal? What's his story? Yeah, why is he why is he so into this fight right now? A red shirt on Star Trek. Yeah, an ensign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nameless, nameless, faceless. Uh, they're not going to make it through the episode. Specifically yeah. on Die Hard, you guys. I'm taking it back to movies, but you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the the Asian dude with the big with the long hair who like is eating a chocolate bar and he's just part of Hans Gruber's team for some reason. He's just like an an outlier. I don't know because the rest of them are Germans. He is just like in it for 5 seconds eating a chocolate bar and then he gets shot. And I'm just like how did he even become a part of this crew? What happened? Anyway, so I'd love to see a movie from his perspective or, you know, an experience from his perspective. So what you're getting at is like Experience Die Hard from chocolate bar eating Asian guy brought to you by Pepsi. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Brought to you by Snickers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. From a storytelling perspective, like that's that's like a classic thing that people always want. Like those two characters from is it Macbeth? Like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that like Tom Stoppard did like a mm-hmm. whole movie and retold the the Shakespeare tale just from there experience like I think like for for us given that we're all no no designers in the room today all like content nerds in here like the the ability to tell different stories around that for brands seems like really exciting especially when we're out there you know at shoots doing content for brands that aren't like the main tv spot or something like that Mm -hmm. whether it's interactive you know, storytelling, like one leads to the other or more of that, some of the stuff that we've tried before of like a sequence of messaging or stories that lead to something bigger before you hammer them home. Like, I think it's re- really interesting the tools that we could, we could bring into it. I, that's why I, th- I think digital storytelling um, actually lends itself a lot more naturally to nonlinear storytelling um, because... Like in its nature, we're giving control back to the audience. That that's essentially how the internet works, right? Like you tell it what you want, and you know, Google tells you what you're gonna get. Um, but to put that back into the hands of like you know, from uh, to take that away from the idea of entertainment and putting it more just in the information age, we can use that as a as a model. So as people are entering information on what they want to see or how they want to be entertained, we can actually provide that both from like a linear sense and like a weird scattered Quentin Tarantino style sense. Plus like you can, you can level it up like one more level with the data, like because you will know what they've clicked, what they've seen, where they've gone, what they've done. That is like a part that like usually is really scary for like creatives, like, you know, knowing all this data, but like, I think it just leads us to like providing the, 
right story or the right experience at the right time to the right person. And that's what's exciting. I think that's, that's funny you say that though. Like, cause I think like researching what stories are going to work for what times isn't a new tactic and like not particularly scary, but as soon as you kind of pump it out in terms of numbers, people kind of can be like, well, you know, we want creative freedom. You still have a lot of creative freedom, but you you still have to make it good. <laughs> you have to make it good. And a lot of it. Yes. Like that's what I think like volume is really tough in, in digital content creation today, like making more costs more, it, it turns into, goes from one day shoots to two day shoots to three day shoots. The, the amount of effort into it all kind of adds up and then you have to like do something with it, <laughs> which I think is like the, the biggest challenge for brands is like they have so, so many places they could put a story or an experience and so many things that they want to do. It's hard to know what they should do. Mm-hmm. And it also takes a lot of buy-in and involvement from an audience that they're trying to build. Um, so like that's, that's the tricky part too with brands is like, you, I think you can only be really, really successful with nonlinear storytelling and sort of longer form like that if you've established an audience and you know exactly what they're looking for. Because um, to go out there and just be like, we've got content, we hope you like it, um, it's, it's a risk. And, you know, but, you know, we'll try it if, if there's a brand mm-hmm. out there who wants to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that hidden call to action right there. You're going to make Sandy so proud, Scott. <laughs> Hi, Sandy. (laughs) For all of our listeners, our loyal listeners, outside of the Pounding Grain universe, Sandy is one of the founding partners at Pounding Grain. He's guest starred on a pod before. He's guest starred on a few pods, and he comes very well prepared with lots to say. Yes. It's usually all about him. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) He he takes over. Yeah. Maybe we need like a a subset offshoot podcast about him. Speaking of like linear like storytelling, Mm -hmm. just like, just go... Set him up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know if, Ivana, if you ever read Choose Your Own Adventure, like, physical books when you were a kid. No, I didn't. Um, but when I was looking into, like, researching for this podcast, I found that those existed. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, how Choose Your Own Adventure, we're talking about it now in a digital sense, but it definitely started, like, decades before in the physical world, whether it's storytelling in a book where you can kind of decide where the plot's going to go, or even like, like in role-playing games like D&D, where you get to be in charge of what happens and what your character does. Um, so well, yeah. Let's be clear here. The dungeon master decides what happens, not just anybody. <laughs> That's fair. Nerd alert. <laughs> I'm going to make a sound for that. Like, so you don't have to even say it anymore. I'm just going to slap it on in the Perfect. and be nerd alert. <laughs> it's the sound of me pushing my glasses up. Yeah. No yeah. point. <laughs> Nelson, uh, Nelson from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did, like, so in terms of uh, like, now that you know that those existed, does it kind of like make sense as to why the internet works that way and, and, and with, by ways of entertainment? Like it's very... Um, I'm going to choose to go this path, but it's going to determine the outcome, which is mm-hmm. kind of like a fundamental like way of creating nonlinear narratives. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think people, they, they want to be involved and they want that choice. And doing like what you guys were talking about, like these longer form um, uh, nonlinear narratives that a brand can create, like that's one way of doing it. But there's also smaller, easier ways I think you can do it. And it's just as simple as, asking your audience or your fans or your consumers, like, what do you want to see? There's been brands that have done things like, what should we name this 
fun new product or whatever and people engage and, invo- and get involved in that way and you're creating that uh, two-way conversation and having them get to be involved in the final product and that's like a small way of letting them choose their own adventure yeah I think that's really that's a that's like a really interesting way that brands are getting involved or involving their audiences um, just in terms of not like just seeing what they think, but actually putting it into action. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get yeah. a Bodie McBoatface situation. Exactly. <laughs> Which everybody still talks about. Yeah, through. and they loved it. Yeah. They listened to us. Wow. Like, and I think rare. like isn't, well, Instagram stories is like building those tools of engagement like right in the stories. Like it's so stupid to have those little two-choice polls or whatever, but like you can see how people now are like using it now and where they could use it if they were telling a a story and be like, should I go here or there? Um, And it's, it's a click or like a, Mm -hmm. you hit like one thing, type, 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 boom. You can have people say, should I go to this cafe or this cafe? Should I go here? Like you could have someone direct your whole like vacation day. Yeah. And YouTubers do that too. Like they'll have, um, videos or they'll, they'll engage with their audience on Instagram and be like, what do I, what am I going to do today? Do I shave my head or do I get a tattoo? And then they actually do it. And then the fans are like, oh shit, they listen to us. That sounds like our next podcast. <laughs> Since Mark, oh no. Well, Mark's not here. So we're going to nominate him and we get to control his whole day. I feel like Mark would love that. I, depending on what he's asking, it'll just be like, should I buy this kettle from Amazon or not? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes. <laughs> yeah. I, the question begins with should I buy? The answer is yeah. always going to be yes. What did he say last night that was fascinating? He said, at the end of the day, I just want to go home and enjoy my possessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week was so much fun with our new segment, Respect the Hustle, where we give some props and shout outs to people hustling out there on ideas we like or just people we like or things that are happening we're bringing it back for week two so who's got some amazing respect the hustles to share we all do (laughs) well we were talking about youtube and youtubers and how on instagram like they they interact with their fans and kind of have them choose their own adventure their day Um, so I just respect the hustle of YouTube as an entity because I think they've really understood that importance of having the fans engage with the creators. Um, and something new that I only recently discovered, um, apparently it came out last year, but, um, basically it's these things called super chats. So YouTube live is not a new idea. Like you can do a live stream and you can have people chatting and involved and getting involved and asking you to answer this question or talk about this. They tell you what they want to see. Um, but, and then you can message them, but they usually get lost in this big stream of uh, messages. So there's these things called super chats where you can actually pay, like you send money to the YouTuber. It could be $5. It could be $50. It could be a hundred dollars. And then that message like illuminates, um, and it gets pinned to the chat board so that they see that. So I just thought it was an interesting way how YouTube is taking these these commonalities of, okay, we understand that audiences want to be heard and they want to be engaged, and they're infusing that with like monetary potential and making them pay their way to be involved. Um, so I'm, I just respect that, and I see that being taken in so many other directions for other brands too. I, I respect YouTube a ton just from the fact that they recognize and they're actively trying to allow creators to 
make a living off of this stuff just based on like how much work they put into these videos for you know four minutes of entertainment for people. Um, so it's good for them. I mean, I remember when YouTube first started, it was like, let's just watch that this guy in an orange shirt do 150 different dances um, to where to where it's come now. So. Totally. Nick, what you got? I respect the hustle of our good friends at Secret Location. In fact, I chose something that they've been doing that's really interesting, which is a cinematic VR experience called The Great Sea, which was based on a Philip K. Dick novel and a short story, sorry. Uh, and it clocks in at 30 minutes and spans 20 unique environments. So it's a non-gaming experience. It is a story, but you get to choose the perspectives that you see within the story, just like we were just talking about in our round table. So that's pretty cool. Nice, uh, nice shout out too. Yeah. And you know, we can, so we had the super awesome opportunity to go to secret location and get a full preview of the great sea. And it's amazing. It, the sound design is incredible. The being able to just like look around your environment in the context of a film um, was it kind of blows your mind. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting just because it's even called a film, even though it is some sort of hybrid where it's a VR experience. But it premiered at the Venice Film Festival, so it's a weird bridging of those worlds. I uh, my respect the hustle this week is going back to sort of our when we were touching on video games and this week um, I'm not sure how aware you guys are of this service called Twitch. Um, so Twitch is like this service where people stream themselves playing video games and then they kind of create this you know, little talk show environment and stuff like that. So um, one of the sort of bigger stars on Twitch, her name is uh, Pokey Main. Um, she decided that for one of her streams last week she was going to do it with no makeup, and there was the expected backlash of a whole bunch of presumably male Twitch users um, that basically said, you know, we're saying some pretty horrible things. But right after all of those kind of all of that kind of died down, the massive community of female Twitch stars all went no makeup and they all decided to do their shows without makeup. And it was actually quite empowering and, and to kind of see that happen. Um, and the reason that she did it is she just wanted to show that, you know, they're not just these sort of characters that they portray on Twitch who play video games, or they're just these full, actual people um, with lives. And she actually showed the amount of work it takes to put on her, for lack of a better term, her Twitch face. Um, and it was, it was pretty interesting. Neat. How's your Twitch face? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. Twitch is, Twitch is super cool. Um, okay. Let's go from Twitch to robots. Uh, my Respect the Hustle is uh, a little startup called OpenROV. Um, and what they're doing is, I mean, they started a, a while ago, but they're bringing cheap robots. And by cheap, air quotes, it's like a $1,500 underwater drone that you can control. You can go... 100 meters down, it can stream video the entire time in like high def um, back to the to the surface. So like there's a, a cord that you're attached to, but you can kind of like do this. And basically what they're doing is like encouraging people to like explore the underwater in their like local neighborhoods and stuff like that. And the hustle is really them plus National Geographic really liking the idea and like going all in on trying to like map and track 
and catalog all the people's um, kind of um, videos and exploration that they've been doing. And now, like, other brands are coming on board to help sponsor, you know, free ones for schools and stuff like that. So, like, really cool-looking robot that, like, started as, like, a... Um, a crowdsourced sort of thing that they've like turned into like a real movement of exploration of waterways in your backyard. Nice. Yeah. Good robots, Nick, not bad robots. That sounds like a great robot. I've always wanted to know what's in the depths of Lake Ontario, but I don't want to go down there myself. That's a good point. Yeah. We should get one. Digital picks. Who's up for digital picks? Who's got a good one? Who wants to start? I'm going to start with digital picks because mine's kind of like a throwaway one. <laughs> I did find it hilarious and entertaining. Um, so as I was perusing Eater, as one usually does on a weekend, weekend afternoon, um, I discovered that at one point um, when Apple updated their emoji system, they created a bagel emoji. And there was massive outrage in the food community that that bagel was plain. <laughs> and so just recently in the latest update, Apple has added cream cheese to the emoji bagel. So everybody can chill. Can you, I, here, I, here's just my one semi lukewarm take on this. <laughs> How, why would getting upset over an emoji like be a thing that people need to do? Like, just like it is what it is. Well, as someone who was incensed, you were <laughs> by the original plain bagel. No, I don't know. That's actually a good question. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe if you're like, if you own a bagel shop, it's misrepresentative of what the bagel could be. Yeah. Seems, seems like, I don't know, first world problems too. The emoji is not right for me. Anyway, I like it, Scott. Thanks. But I'm glad they fixed it because now everything's fine. Yeah. yeah. Everything's right in the world. Yeah. Big problems. We can fix them together. <laughs> Who's next? I'll go. Yes. So... At a recent uh, art auction, a painting sold for 45 times the uh, anticipated price. Um, so it sold for $435,000. But the reason that this is so noteworthy is because the painting was completely made by AI. And it sold for almost like 500K. So I thought that was super interesting because... So basically, like the creators took an algorithm that used thousands of portraits to create the image. Um, and you can Google it and you'll see that it's kind of like a distorted portrait and it looks kind of like impressionist and abstract, but I'm just like, okay, so is this art? Does no. this count as art? It definitely is a fabrication of what art should be, which is something that comes from, you know, a person's inner depths and emotions and, um, yeah, it's real art, I think, is, is distilling feelings into something that's tangible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's possible from a computer. But, to, I mean, from, this might open up a larger conversation, but, like, how are, how are our paintings determined, like, what is expensive and, like, how much I to know. pay for them? And then if it's an auction, like, how is it being talked about where... People are bidding upwards to four hundred thousand dollars on it, this thing. It must have just been like this is the first AI generated art, and some 
rich man was like, I need that in my home. Yeah, I think that without knowing too much about the art dealing world, I think part of the criteria for what makes something really expensive is uniqueness. So this is relatively unique, but mm, I don't know. You could copy and paste it. You no. could copy and paste it. If it's yeah. built by AI, just copy and paste that code. But it doesn't pass the Nick test. <laughs> it looks pretty cool in the photo, to be fair. Does it look half a million dollars cool? No. Hard no. No. <laughs> Hard no. Cheer us up, Nick. What you yeah. got? Okay, so I have a tasty little pick that actually Jackson found and shared. Ooh, uh, bonus pick from me. Bonus pick from Jackson, but I stole it. It's called Magic UX from a UK-based design studio called Special Projects. And what they do basically, I'll try to explain this, is if you were in your physical, tangible space sitting at a table and you aligned all of your objects that you would need for you know, whatever you were doing, your workday or other, pen, pad, you would align it in your own particular way. And what this will do is allow you to pin objects to a surface, um, pin apps to your surface that you may be using. So you can align them in your own way um, and not in the way that your phone would have done it for you. Is that a good way to explain that? I think so. I mean, like the magic of the video is um, like when the person's looking at a photo and can click on the photo that's pinned there, move their phone in, in um, space over to the email app and like un, undock their thumb from the screen and it drops into the email. Mm-hmm. So like these things about like copying and pasting, you're just like, oh, I like that image. Drag it physically over mm-hmm. to the left-hand side and drop it into wherever you want. So I think like there's some like just really cool... Um, if you had yourself sorted out, you could like amp up mm-hmm. your productivity by like adding that third level of kind of yeah. organization. Because I think we, we, we talked offline uh, about how the, the phone may not be organized for how you would do something. Yeah. Um, although it's... like we also debated that your real life desktop would be super messy. Um, but the, your desktop on your phone is really clean, but Super interesting. It's really dependent on the user. I think for me, it wouldn't be great because I'm amongst the the type that my real life desktop is super messy, but it depends on how you multitask IRL and if you want to bring that experience to your phone or not. So it's pretty neat. Neato. Well, now my pick looks astonishingly stupid uh, (laughs) in comparison, but Par for the course from my picks and my Respect the Hustles last week. Last week, I talked about uh, Hallmark uh, movies and how (laughs) hustly they are. Now, for my digital pick, I'm bringing one of my other great passions together, reality TV. Um, So, a PhD student at the University of Illinois, Chicago, um, who is really into reality TV, like she's writing her thesis on it and all this sort of stuff. Her and another student are working on using all the contestants from Bachelor Nation, so the Bachelorette in this case, to do some like comparison of like what's changing about their behavior and why uh, people, why some of them rise to the top and why some of them are not interesting. What is it about the like ones that are more popular? Not just on the show, but just in 
in real life. Um, so for them, they were kind of like, you know, they, they analyzed people from like the first season to like later seasons. And some interesting things about that there is just like the difference in behaviors and what people were showing on their social media in season one versus what they do now. Like in season one, it was kind of like you, you didn't know what was going to happen like in your life or like what you were going to get out of. You were there to find love <laughs> where like now it seems like whoever they are, win or lose, they have a specific goal of like why they're on the show. Love may be a part of it, but their brand mm -hmm. on social media is about perpetuating themselves forward. So how they act and interact and present themselves Whoa. is completely different between season one and season 13 and the behavior. Even though they're like, if you compare apples to apples, they're still like in a very narrow subset of who they are as like people. They're all very similar, how they've evolved of like the game. So it's just interesting to me of just what the feeds, the analysis of the feeds tell you about what people, what the, the fans like and what, why there's so much sameness in them. Um, it's just an interesting study uh, of, uh, of analyzing social media and its changes in a really short time. Because season one to season 13, it's not like that's like a 20-year period. That's probably like six or seven years. It's not a big deal. <laughs> So, I think that's my like that's my big thing with reality TV and how I struggle with it sometimes is because I I I'm totally cool with watching reality TV as like a window into what's happening in somebody's life but as soon as you get an as an audience member as soon as you get like an inkling that they're playing the game I'm I'm done and like it loses all for me it just loses all clout and I'm just like I'd rather watch actual fiction than, mm. than somebody acting It's interesting though cuz they they see it like less of like faking but more of a blurring line blurring line between their professional like why they're on social media and their like personal lives and the more that that line is blurred the more successful those people are because if they can blur what is their like work or their kind of persona on the bachelor and their um, real life and be real with people, they become even more popular. Mm -hmm. And then like ads slip in without people really paying attention. Um, one like insight was just like, and now it seems perfectly acceptable that your feed is a bunch of pictures taken by a third party and not you. So you know that like they have a camera person. Mm -hmm. So like the, the whole idea of like from season one, it would be like more selfies and like, you know, friend picks and stuff like that. Now, you know, it's curated. curated, professional, a business, and that's kind of how they've gone into it. But they're not looking for love. They're looking for followers. <sighs> gotta get that money, gotta pay that's them so bills. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Anyway, so now I've exposed myself on both reality TV <laughs> and Hallmark movies, so my decline to obscurity and ridicule is set. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Version Control. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes.